cancer will affect one in two men and one in three women before they die. And that's not including skin cancer. Obviously, we can burn fat for fuel, but what other approaches can you use if you come down with cancer? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. William LaValle, who is an expert in advanced uh, nutritional customized modifications that can be integrated for a specific cancer. So he's been doing this for a long time, uh, really like myself, a family physician, but has specialized in researching the scientific literature and developing a comprehensive database to help uh, physicians uh, understand what they can do. He actually trains other physicians who treat patients with advanced uh, cancers and uh, uses evidence-based molecularly targeted treatments uh, to help these treatments uh, and their uh, to help the, these physicians help their, their patients. So welcome and thank you for thank joining you. us today. Thank you for having me. So uh, we have been beating the drum for a bit and I neglected to mention in your intro is that you are one of the clinicians who helped carefully proof my book, Fat for Fuel, which helps people understand how to burn fat as their primary fuel. Yes. And I, I greatly ex uh, <clears throat> extend my appreciation for that assistance and also help me really understand the way insulin truly works because virtually no physicians realize that it does not work by driving glucose into your cell. You pulled up a paper as you perpetually curious mind is and you said how does insulin right. work so you research the literature you pulled up this study that was done like 20 years ago and it just like opened our eyes that it doesn't work by driving glucose in the cell it works by suppressing hepatic gluconeogenesis or your liver's ability to make glucose so thank you so much for that too sure very interesting stuff yes indeed so uh clearly that one of the found i believe and i suspect it's true that one of the most foundational approaches that you can do to prevent and treat cancer is to get your body to burn fat first, primary fuel to, to optimize mitochondrial function. Not the only thing you should do. Sure. So I suspect you would agree with that also, right? Sure, I do. Yeah, yeah. I think that the mitochondria is highly important and not well focused on otherwise. So I'm gonna give you the floor now. Uh, because the, the, what, why don't you describe what you've been doing for the last 10 or 15 years and your focus and your passion on this and what you've compiled and how that can help people understand what collaborative, uh, adjunctive, uh, natural interventions can also be used with the diet. Okay, great. Well, one of the, I think one of the most important things that people can understand is that there are large amounts of data, I call it mountains and oceans of data that are showing that there are anti-cancer effects, scientifically targeted, molecularly targeted anti-cancer effects from natural supplement products, so natural products, supplements, as well as the repurposing of already available pharmaceuticals that can increase anti-cancer activity for people with cancer in addition to their chemotherapy and radiation therapy and not instead of. And the challenge is that most doctors, because they're already overwhelmed with information, don't have 
the time to dig into this information. And so they don't know about a great deal of it. And for two other important reasons, the doctors aren't being taught about this. And one is that pharmaceutical companies are restricted by law and regulation from educating about the use of their drugs, except for how they're approved. And uh, anywhere from 10 to 30% of chemotherapy, as well as conventional medicine, is used for other reasons than what they're approved for. That's The concept is repurposing of drugs. And doctors do it all the time, except they don't learn about it except from other doctors. And there are not now doctors teaching about these commonly available drugs for anti-cancer activity. In addition to that, supplement companies are forbidden from uh, educating and marketing about the use of their products for disease treatment, and specifically, uh, and that includes cancer treatment. And yet, there are large amounts of data that show the anti-cancer molecular action, scientifically um, proven anti-cancer molecular effect from a whole range of specific natural supplements and in a whole range of particular cancers. And when you piece these things together with nutrition for cancer metabolism, which you, Dr. Mercola, are talking about very much with um, uh, fat for fuel, as well as using scientifically targeted, molecularly targeted anti-cancer supplements, as well as repurposing of these already available pharmaceuticals. Usually, um, uh, family doctors are prescribing these commonly, not always, but commonly. And that can bring an additional great anti-cancer impact to people who are being treated for cancer and that their oncologists are using appropriate uh, conventional care, but they don't know about these other options. Okay, well, <clears throat> thank you for that frame. Uh, and I just want to comment on the pharmaceuticals because probably some people's eyes or eyebrows are being raised and say, what is he talking about drugs of for? Of course. For the most part, drugs are not the answer to this. And, and my guess is when you're referring to drugs, it's pretty much older drugs and not the newer ones that cost frequently over six figures for a cancer treatment. These are the most expensive for the generally, the most expensive drugs in all of medicine. And the other factor that contributes to the uh, impairment of the ability of people, of physicians to integrate these into their practice is that oncologists have really taken control of the treatment of cancer. And many people aren't aware that oncologists are one of the few specialties in medicine where they are actually allowed and in, actually encouraged to sell these drugs. So when your oncologist gives you a $100,000 cancer drug, they may be getting half of that directly as a paycheck to them. So there is clearly some ulterior motivations here that impair the ability to, to implement these really effective far less dangerous, far less toxic, far less likely to kill you from the side effects of these medications. What I'm talking about are not the cancer drugs. That, that's done by the oncologists. And 30% of what they prescribe for chemotherapies are used in ways that are not FDA approved. They're repurposed. I'm talking about the other whole range of drugs that are available for say family doctors who are prescribing common, common drugs that are often generic, like say metformin. Mm -hmm. Metformin is very low cost, has an extraordinary 
safety history is widely available and has significant evidence across a whole range of cancer cell types as having anti-cancer activity on multiple different molecular targets. And it's available. Uh, family doctors and others can prescribe it. Yeah. You know, I have some personally have some problems with metformin, not that I take it or ever took it, uh, but it is widely recommended. There, and as you mentioned, there is a mountain of evidence that's useful in this area, but but it's also been shown to be mitochondrial toxic. It's a it, it's a mitochondrial poison, whereas the benefits it has, at least at a molecular level, are actually replicated almost precisely by a nutraceutical called berberine, which sure. doesn't have the mitochondrial toxicity. So I'm wondering why someone would, you know, and it seems to be an artifact, a side effect of almost every darn drug out there is that there's some long-term toxicity because it's not natural, it's a chemical synthetic. Not that I'm against all drugs. Some of them, you know, like uh, nutrient analogs like glutamine inhibitors that may be similar to glutamine, but just block its effect in, in an important metabolic pathway to feed cancer cells. So, and glycolytic inhibitors. But other than those, unless you're affecting a specific target, there's almost some long-term downside. So maybe you can address that and Sure. I, I, I'm not a drug fan in any way, shape, or form. Sure, I understand. And it's a, it's a big issue. What I'm looking at with, with the people who are already getting conventional chemotherapy, already going to their conventional doctors, is I'm looking at benefit risk. Mm -hmm. And most of these people are already dealing with a very advanced cancer or a diagnosis that puts them in a very high risk category and high risk for progression. And without adding some additional options to their treatment plans, then they are less likely to get the kinds of benefits that the evidence supports. And so uh, I, I call myself a molecular agnostic. I'm interested in using the molecules that are available. And when you talk about metformin, yes, it does. It, it is a um, uh, It does have some toxicity to mitochondria at the particular um, target within the mitochondria. It also has many other anti-cancer targets within cancer cells and cancer stem cells, and it's widely available. So I, I weigh all of those and I make the recommendations to the doctors and I show the doctors the references, the scientific citations, and give them the link so they can go look at them. And then they have that discussion with their family, with their integrative medicine doctor. And so I strongly encourage people diagnosed with cancer to access this emerging specialty of integrative medicine and the particular subspecialty within it that I do of molecular integrative medicine, looking at the spectrum of molecules that can add anti-cancer effect. And you're absolutely spot on about berberine having specific uh, activity that's anti-cancer like um, metformin specifically in, in that AMPK uh, target and they're they're not the same. They're overlapping, and none of these molecules have only a single target: these natural products or these generic pharmaceuticals. And so that's why I'm using it. Essentially, the goal is to use networks of therapeutic molecules to target networks of cancer um, molecular pathways. And it seems that one of the most important pathways and, and one that I think many people watching this may not fully appreciate is that <clears throat> what kills almost all can patients with cancer is not the cancer 
Well, it is a cancer, but the mechanism is the circulating cancer stem cells that are distributed throughout the body. So if you can target that, eliminate, decimate that population, then it's relatively easy to control the process. And I'm wondering if you target many of your approaches to the circulating cancer stem cells. Sure. We need to take it. I, I think people benefit from understanding a general overview of cancer and uh, stem cells is a really important component. You know, when, when I describe cancer to uh, patients or to their doctors, I'm looking at we're targeting cancer metabolism, which is what you spend a great deal of time and effort on. And Fat for Fuel is a great idea to describe that a great book and, and has great supporting materials. In addition, molecular pathways within the cancer cells. And then there are a whole range of cancer supporting and protecting cells in the microscopic environment immediately adjacent to the cancer cells. And that microenvironment includes a population of stem cells that can replenish cancer cells even when those cancer cells are eliminated. And whether it's uh, cancer cells or those stem cells, or some of the um, immune microenvironment cells, they can distribute, they can leave the cancer um, tumor, the lump of, of cells and circulate throughout the body to other positions, to other places and um, start growing additional cancer tumors uh, called metastatic cancer. And that's really important to cover the molecular pathways in the cancer cells, as well as to aim at those in the cancer stem cells and what I call the bad guy pro-cancer immune cells that protect and support the cancer cells in that microenvironment. And using natural products, we can target all of these, the metabolism, the, mo the molecular networks, and the microenvironment. So what are the most frequent questions that peep in your experience that people have who are recently diagnosed with cancer uh, that they have and then also the, the, the ones taking care of them, their loved ones? Sure, the, the, by far the most common question is, are there other things that I can do? Are there other things that we can do that can increase anti-cancer activity for the person diagnosed with cancer for that patient? And is there scientific basis to it rather than the uh, modern day folklore? Do we have access to the evidence? And the answer is yes, 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 we do. That there are many options available and that those options can be personalized depending on how the molecular characteristics, the profiles of those patients' cancer cells, they can be evaluated using uh, technology called genomics, DNA assessment, or look at RNA, or even look at the proteins in the cancer cells to give a much better idea of how to target, how to focus treatment on the, that particular person's cancer. And so that's personalized precision medicine in addition to patient-centered medicine, which is where the integrated medicine doctors are giving people choices for natural medicine in addition to their conventional medicine. So there are the, that, that answering those questions gives people relief because then they have additional hope. And that's really important when people are addressing these very serious questions. Another thing 
that uh, often comes up is, well, can't I do it myself? Can I just go down to the uh, health food store or on the internet, order them? And I really want people to understand that cancer is a serious illness. It's not a do-it-yourself project. It's really important to have a team and a team that is licensed, qualified physicians who know uh, how to collaborate and know how to access the scientific literature and know how to personalize these protocols for your particular cancer. And those, the third thing that they usually ask is, how can I, quote, boost my immune system? And that's where I bring up the issue about the microenvironment cells, because actually what we want to do is increase the strength and the capacity of the what what are I call the good guy anti-cancer immune cells that can detect and eliminate cancer cells. And we want to deplete and suppress and inhibit the bad guy pro-cancer immune cells, both of which are in the immune system. So rather than boosting the immune system, I like to think of it as optimizing the immune system. And we can use, there are natural supplements that are available that can increase the good guy anti-cancer immune cells and decrease the bad guy pro-cancer immune cells. Yes, indeed. So <clears throat> there are, I would suspect that most of the patients that you consult with or either directly or indirectly are still using chemotherapy. And you know, when you're between a rock and a hard place, especially with many of your loved ones who don't understand or appreciate the potential, healing potential of these natural approaches, that may be the option. Uh, in fact, most oncologists I suspect would refuse to treat pa patients who didn't use that, depending on the tumor, of course. But uh, there uh, is a strategy that you can use. It seems to work really well. And I'm wondering if you recommend this in your protocol, where if you, when you're going to, you don't, for those who don't know, you don't receive chemotherapy continuously. It's at a pulse dose, on a, depending on the agent, you know, the terms of frequency, but it's not t taken every day typically. So the, the strategy that seems to work really well is to be the day that you're targeted for your chemotherapy, uh, usually intravenous injection or administration, uh, you don't eat for 24 hours before that day. You don't eat the day of the administration, and then you can eat the following day. So it's a 48-hour water fast for the most part, but that seems to have dramatically reduced the side effects, the toxicity, and also radically improved the effectiveness, and so much so that they can probably radically lower the dose and, and again, further decrease the side effects. And I'm wondering if that's a part of your uh, protocol. Yes, that the idea of calorie restriction during chemotherapy and radiation therapy is a really important consideration that uh, people can ask their integrated medicine doctor about. I do recommend and support that either calorie restriction and fasting, if, if somebody's willing to go all the way into fasting, great. I strongly support it. It's only I two days. It's not yeah. like 40 days. <laughs> right. Well, not everybody is as uh, eager to do that. And so, so I, I'm, I mean, what's I, the I, alternative I, death, you know, it's like a pretty yeah. powerful motivation. It's, it is, it's, it's a challenge. I have to meet people where they are and meet their doctors where they are and give them as best options as possible and say that that's right. It's, it would be better if you fasted for 48 hours and, and if you're not going to do that, it's better than, say, to have a calorie-restricted five or 600 calories. You know, in the old days, I, I suspect when you were in medical school, I know when I was 
in the chemotherapy wards, in the chemotherapy rooms, they had um, people coming in with donut carts. <laughs> and, and, and cookies. Oh, I business. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think they still did. I think it's still around that. that oh it's God. really, I think that the component. Worst thing they could do. Oh, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no worse food. That's the what number one. It's um, the chant that, that, that idea that cancer cells are addicted or highly using sugar, glucose, fructose, in particular glucose, sugar addicted is called aerobic glycolysis. And it's a really, really well-researched and been available. Uh, the science has been rigorously available for many, many decades. And it's an area where we still run into a lot of resistance um, and people have to understand and make their own choices, which is why I spend the time educating them about cancer metabolism and uh, fat for fuel is going to make it a lot easier. Yeah, it really focuses on limiting glucose as the primary fuel, and it does it really well, and also optimizing mitochondrial function, which is another major improvement because you know your body yeah, cells have the metabolic flexibility switch between sugar. It's not that sugar is intrinsically evil. You need sugar. You absolutely need it, glucose specifically, to run. And, and our program uses feast, famine, cycling, where you actually get these pulses. And interestingly, and I inter right. interviewed Dr. Slocum, who is a Turkish oncologist who integrated Dr. Seafried's protocol and was getting 50% yes. improvements in stage four metastatic patient cancer patients. And he was actually integrating feast, famine, cycling, where he would have them have large amounts of carbs, even though they had terminal cancer. And he got incredible results. So what do you think the most important things are for people who are initially diagnosed with cancer that they should know and their family should be aware of when they're considering all the treatment options? Well, one of the things... Uh, that's a great question. It happens often. And one of the things is know that uh, diet matters, food matters, what what they eat and drink really matters because often they're not getting that information uh, directly and that they can then go and, and evaluate whether or not the information is relevant. So let me, let me just interject here because a frequent response from their conventional physicians will be, well, diet doesn't matter. So then what they can tell their physician is great. That doesn't matter what I eat. And then you can go and figure out what you should eat. Right. I, I, I think it's really important. That's, that's the foundation. If you understand that, you're going to increase the likelihood of getting better intake and getting a better result, better outcome. So that's, that's fundamental. The second thing is, is to understand that there are different specialties within medicine. So don't expect from any specialist what they don't have expertise in. So when you're looking for additional uh, expertise for anti-cancer, scientifically targeted anti-cancer utilization of natural supplements, then it's probably best to go to an integrative medicine doctor, or at least the doctor that has expertise in integrative medicine, because that's the specialty where there's a focus on using natural products scientifically, as well as integrating that within the conventional medicine and that there are vast amounts of data that support the use of supplements for anti-cancer activity, molecularly targeted anti-cancer activity, as well as some of the already available, which not uncommonly the, the people are already having access to the drugs or they're taking the drugs that can have additional anti-cancer effect. So the, those two things are really important to empower people and that there are 
a very large network. There is a large network of integrated medicine doctors in the U.S. and in Canada that are available for collaboration. Uh, that's the kind of that's what I do. I collaborate with these integrated medicine doctors to give to them these evidence-based, molecularly targeted. Uh, anti-cancer treatment recommendations for supplements as well as off-label or repurposed pharmaceuticals for them to consider in the treatment of their patients. So then the doctors don't have to know all the detail of the data that I know, and I can give them and point them to where that research is, and they can then make decisions about those treatment options. And that all of that is specifically designed to be integrated with whatever their chemotherapy and or radiation therapy is, and not expected or recommended or designed to be instead of. Most people are getting chemo and radiation. That's where they are. And they don't know that they can get this significantly greater increased benefit. Especially, with, low, especially with lower doses. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the oncologists are not yet at a point where they're going to be modifying their protocols based on the molecular integrative oncology database yet. All right, so let, let's take a step back because uh, I don't think sure. I uh, properly frame this and with respect to where people are. So if you're newly if you're newly introduced to this field, say you were doing trusted and and really uh, believe what your conventional medical physician has been telling you for your whole life, and then you got a diagnosis of cancer, and all you're all of a sudden you're scrambling. <clears throat> well, the first thing is you we we've said a few times that, that Fat for Fuel is a great book, and it is, but you really need a more foundational primer, which is the book uh, Tripping Over the Truth, written by Travis Christofferson, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer, so that you can understand the big picture. And then once you understand the big picture, then you'll be you'll be better able to dialogue with your friends and family and, and clinicians uh, about this sure. and then then fat for fuel but then <clears throat> so what, if you've got those under your belt and there's a lot of reading that's going to take a while certainly a number of hours to get through that material but once you've done that is starting the program you're and it doesn't mean you can do these well obviously you have to can only read one book at a time but it doesn't mean you can't do something else and the something else is i think a really critical part of the equation i want to get this out now because you used to see I, you maybe still see i don't know but you used to see that was your primary uh, treatment. You were a, a natural uh, uh, clinician with respect to integrating these molecular biological uh, adjunctive therapy. Sure, sure. But, but you're overwhelmed, as most people do, as a single person. So you, you're training physicians. So how does someone find a, a physician who's trained in these adjunctive molecular biological techniques and, and really understands this and can help guide them because they can listen to what we're this interview 10 times. They're still not going to get all the details. You need someone that's going to answer your specific questions and customize the program for you. So how do they find someone like that? Well, the, the what, what I've been doing for these last uh, 10, 11 years is exactly that is using whatever their diagnosis, the, the criteria, the information, their diagnosis to create personalized precision medicine protocols for them, for their doctor to then implement. And so that's a very uh, direct way to get this information. The physicians are overwhelmed by and large. And the specialty of integrative medicine, even though it's uh, relatively young and emerging, has still not had a lot of subspecialization, uh, and and I'm subspecializing within that. 
and provide those medical doctors, the integrative medicine doctors who understand molecular biology and are willing to look at the evidence base, the ability to quickly get this information and apply it in their patients. And that's the bridge that needs to occur. And so okay. ultimately, I'm aiming uh, to develop ways to teach pay, uh, physicians at scale and to teach their um uh, patients who are interested, because we see, as you do, lots of people who are not medical doctors who are very interested so that they can make better decisions about their own care. And we're seeing more and more physicians interested in, because they know that this information's out there, but they're just too overwhelmed to be able to dig it out themselves. Yeah. So it is a team effort. So Absolutely. your team consists of yourself obviously yeah. being the most important part of the, the equation and really the leader of the team because you are in control of your health. You make the decisions, you control the ship. So, right. but then you've got to have good people on your team and that would be an integrative medicine physician who's well-trained and there are some good strategies to find one if you haven't already identified one. And, uh, you know, but I wouldn't necessarily restrict yourself to local if it's a terminal diagnosis. I mean, you could... Many, sure, of these, many of these physicians do online consultations or you can travel. So there's a wide variety. But if it's a serious problem, you need to find the best. So that I do think it's a team effort. It requires uh, people understanding that they're not going to get it all in one place. So they're going to get a certain treatment from their conventional oncology team and their integrative medicine team, and they may not get them in the same place. And it's still early days as to how well those two teams now collaborate. And well, there's another member of the team, and that's the nutritionist. And we're in the process of train, certifying, actually, nutritionists. It could be physicians, but most of them are nutritionists that can actually counsel and guide you through the most important foundational part of the program, which is a diet. So you can read Fat for Fuel, might struggle Absolutely. with it, you might, might need some of, that, some of that customized support. So that's another really valuable member of the team. And we'll have that certification available later in 2017. And, and those links will be on our site. So we get no referral fees or anything for that. It's just that we're seeking to provide resources for people in very desperate situations. And very important. And uh, th there, there's such a range of information uh, uh, validity that's out there. There's some information that's, in my opinion, hogwash. It's, it, it, it's dangerous. It's hard. Yeah. It can be harmful. But, but uh, the, the, one, the, the point I wanted to emphasize, though, is that when you've identified your integrative medical oncologist, if you're impressed with Dr. Lavallee's work here, and you can go online, he's got a lot more information, then you have your physician connect with Dr. Lavallee, who will specifically develop a program for you, customize it for you, and that's the way to go. Right. And uh, it, there are oftentimes people come that they don't have an integrative medicine doctor and I can help them identify somebody in their region mm -hmm. because uh, the, the resources as to what kind of training I can uh, make recommendations and then have a quick discussion with that doctor to give an overview. And that way they now have an integrated team with uh, collaborative care that is covering the spectrum. Very rarely do I encounter people who are saying they're not going to do any conventional treatment. And uh, that there are some, uh, and we look to be able to give uh, options to everybody. And if someone's not going to be looking at any of the additional natural medicine options, they're not going to come to us in the first place. Yes, indeed. So 
that that's the key that and it, that this team allows you to rapidly accelerate your access to knowledge that if you were to try to do it yourself it might take you 10 15 20 years if you could do it if you had the the requisite technical uh, training to integrate this information and again you're doing it full time but he, most people they don't have that type of time they'd be dead long before that time was was finished sure so, sure we, that we need to accelerate that and so that's actually one of the main functional components of what I'm doing is giving physicians a rigorously accurate overview of cancer molecular biology of cancer focused on the cancer metabolism, focused on these other molecular networks within the cancer cells, as well as in the microenvironment cells that protect and support the cancer cells, and then giving them direct evidence-based molecularly targeted options to specifically uh, affect those sites and those pathways and those networks in an anti-cancer way and do that in a way that the physician is able to administer and implement immediately rather than that physician having to dig in for years to go find that information. And let me sort of take another side step to help people understand why you would have this expertise. Well, it's because you you committed the last more than last 10 years of your life to this project, and you are searching yes. PubMed yeah. every day, if col collaborated and designed a very comprehensive database that, that interacts. It's almost a form of artificial intelligence. In fact, maybe we could take right. a tangent there too, because what I think this is the next step for your work, and maybe I can help you yeah. catalyze a connection to these artificial intelligence teams like Watson. And Watson, of course, was responsible for defeating the Jeopardy champions a number of years ago. And more recently, right. we've got Deep Learning out of Google the, who bought right. them, that Go champion. So this technology exists. There's this massive amount of data. And Watson is now being vectored over for cancer oncology drugs, but they're not doing anything with this natural approach. And I think if they could connect to your database I mean, the world in, in cancer therapy would change. And that, and it's, it's why is it so important? Because it's going to be the number one killer of U.S. citizens in the next five years. I think you're absolutely right. With that technology is changing the rules for cancer treatment and the tools that we have. The evidence is overwhelming that there's benefit to be had from the appropriate administration of these molecularly targeted natural products and repurposing the drugs that are already available that doctors have access to that are not otherwise given for cancer. I'm talking about things like aspirin. I'm talking about things th that, that are very common. You know, antihistamines that are over the counter have some... Let me be very specific and clear that each one requires a specific evaluation for that particular person's cancer. And so I'm not saying uh, just go down to the pharmacy and over the counter start taking antihistamines because you, you've been diagnosed with cancer. That wouldn't be a good idea. That's not a good thing. What I'm saying is for, for improving people's survival, these People, the patients that I've treated, as well as that other doctors are are implementing these protocols, that these people live dramatically better quality of life and have substantially extended length of life compared to their their uh, similar group called their cohort. And that's an important thing. It's I'm not suggesting that we have cracked the code to cure cancer, and that if you implement one of these protocols, that it's a guarantee for a cure for cancer because no one has that yet 
And anyone that's telling you that they can guarantee to cure your cancer is uh, either lying or manipulating or just uh, doesn't understand the complexity of the cancer that they're, that we're dealing with. And these tools are available. You have to be selective and you have to you know, do a gut check. Ask yourself whether it feels like this is someone that's being scientifically grounded or not. Um, the field, it, 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 your life depends on it. And it's important that your physician feel comfortable that the treatment recommendations have an evidence base. So that's another thing I would ask the doctors to be able to say, or th that the patients can say, doctor, are you willing to be able to show me the references, the citations? And every doctor that I collaborate with is happy to share the citation, the references with their patients. And I'm happy for everybody to see all that information. So I provide it in a, in a document, 40, 50, 60 pages, anywhere from uh, several hundred to I've had eight, five, six, seven, eight hundred citation references for these recommendations so that the doctor doesn't have to believe me. The doctor can go look at it, her and hi, her, herself or himself, and then decide. So the doctor receives the, the protocol recommendations and then decides uh, make, and, and considers each one for administration with that patient. Then I can, with our team, we can help those people implement the selections that that, pay, that that doctor has made so that we make it very efficient. And people are, with this approach, it's a very um, organized, systematic approach. People can implement very uh, uh, complex, very effective, broad spectrum protocols and get robust anti-cancer results, basically really healthy, good, long lives and they can do it because this system is made efficient for implementation at home on a daily basis. Yes, indeed. And with, uh, before I sort of tangent it out to the integration of artificial intelligence in your work, I wanted to emphasize the extent of the work that you've done. Uh, I, and maybe you can tell us how many articles or studies you've reviewed to, to establish this database of, of uh, information okay. to do. Because, you know, I'd say the average person watching this video would likely be not even able to understand one of these studies because it's written in complex medical jargon compounded with very sophisticated biochemical pathways, many of which were never even uh, recognized when we went to medical school. That's so, right. Uh, so, how many studies have you put together and compiled in your in your resource? Um, many tens of thousands. Tens it, of thousands. Tens of thousands. Look, when, when when I was in medical school in in the mid nineteen eighties, we didn't learn molecular biology as part of the medical school curriculum, and I always felt. Um, uh, incomplete and inadequate because I didn't understand molecular biology. And so in the beginning of 2006, I took a self, a, a big decision, a self-imposed sabbatical for three quarter time in order to learn the molecular biology of cancer. And since that time have developed evidence or, or databases, relational databases that are connecting cancer cell types and molecular pathways and chemotherapy and, radi and uh, pharmaceuticals, as well as natural products and how they interact and how they're, they're cross-referenced with each other and have spent well over 13,000 hours in developing these databases that now can be used to greatly accelerate the selection of these options because the org the, the the data is is organized it's it's collated and i can then go in and select 
uh, specific recommendations because I know where to go look. And that information, I think, does have great value for the, the medical community because now doctors don't have to go and do all of that. They, it, it, this information is now encapsulated and in a way pre-digested, and it has great, active, great value for the broad spectrum of cancer cell types because there's so much data out there. Look, when drugs get developed, before they're developed, there's a great deal of research that's done very frequently using supplements, natural molecules, to prove the effects of these particular targets and the anti-cancer effect of a, let's take green tea extract, for instance, in many different cancer cell types. And so once that those molecular targets are identified, then drugs are identified or, or uh, are, are produced in order to do the same thing or at least affect the same targets. And that data doesn't, about the natural products, supplements, doesn't normally get out to the clinics. And now we can have access to it. Now we can apply it. And so that's, that's the emphasis of this approach, molecular integrative oncology to use evidence-based, molecularly targeted anti-cancer supplements and repurposed pharmaceuticals in addition to chemotherapy and radiation therapy so that the patients get patient-centered, precision uh, personalized precision medicine and that it's available now and and i think that service is one where that physicians are willing to administer if the information can be given to them and that's my job is to bridge that information gap yes and it's very impressive statistics tens of thousands of articles tens and of thousands. thirteen thousand hours of your time but you started in yeah. 2006 if you would have started when we were in medical school, and I took the, I took an additional year of training in my residency, and took the whole year essentially just to really do library research. And for those of you who weren't doing library research in the 1980s or before, uh, what you would do to do this type of investigation, you'd have to go to physically bound books, look it right. up, take that reference, copy it down, go walk back into the stacks, find the journal, walk right. back to the copy machine, photocopy it. I mean, it might take a half hour to an hour to find one reference, which would have made it physically impossible to compile the knowledge base that you did if you were to do that 20 years earlier. Wouldn't, you couldn't That's have done right. it. You couldn't That's have done right. it in a lifetime. It wasn't, it wasn't available. And the reason I started in 2006 is because at the end of 2005, the National Institutes of Health put the PubMed database on the internet in a way that also organized it so you could access all the world's references. So the, and, and everybody who's listening here can directly go to PubMed right now and see it. it it's essentially, it's an electronic card catalog of the world's the public medical literature in the world and it's got 27 million electronic cards and the great value of that is that it gives you a, a brief overview it's called the abstract and it also tells you what other articles it's related to so if you find an article that's relevant and it comes from 2012 it not only tells you what happened before that that it's related to but it also tells you what's happened up until now that's related to it. And that's a really valuable function. It also shows you that there are 4 million, little actually 4.2 million articles 
that are free, that are immediately available. You can download them right now. And that's a large amount of, of uh, scientific value that wasn't available back in before 2005. And when you did get the articles, often you had to pay a large amount of money to get them. And so the, this is a, the, the prime example of how the technology has changed the tools and the rules for anti-cancer treatment. And that integrating this information, making it more easily available so physicians and their patients can actually understand and admit and implement it, that's, that's where we can go now. And uh, conventional oncology, you talked about, um, uh, Dr. McCauley, you talked about you using Watson with cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. MD Anderson, the big um, anti, the, the big cancer institution in Houston, MD Anderson, recently was using Watson for uh, developing its treatment plans, and it decided to no longer do it because it was giving the exact same plans that the um, that that were being administered by the oncology teams. And I think that's because the people who are programming Watson weren't aware of the, or how to actually oh, efficiently sure. access this they information. They never access the materials that you are. That's the, right. the, the right. question I have for you. I mean, you're in this field. There's not many people like you. Are there, is there anyone else or any other organizations compiled this type of extensive database on? Not that I know of. Otherwise I would have you're been using You're the top guy in the world on this. Well, I think that there are vast opportunities for integrating this information to make it immediately available to physicians when they're in their clinics making decisions for their patients. Right now, it's integrative medicine doctors. I think 10 years from now, it will evolve to be the broad spectrum of doctors that, that are accessing. Look, molecules, your body doesn't know where the molecule comes from. The evidence base is saying that there are a range of molecules. And so I look at all of the evidence base and evaluate benefit risk. Look, there are large numbers of natural molecules, supplement molecules that I don't include in protocols because people can't get them. They're not available in the US and in Canada, or uh, they're, they're only available in, in places or for manufacturers that I don't think are appropriate or, or trustworthy. So um, there, there are caveats to all of this, different bits and pieces of information that people need to understand. And that's where having their professional, their license, look, in some regions in the U.S. as well as in Canada, naturopathic doctors are able to prescribe pharmaceuticals in addition to the natural supplements. Um, there are places where medical doctors and naturopathic doctors collaborate closely and greatly. There are some uh, integrative oncology teams, the regular oncologists who also do integrative oncology. There's not many of them. And uh, I think this emerging field is, is set to uh, grow exponentially if this information can be put out appropriately in a way that's usable. Right now, most doctors feel overwhelmed by molecular biology, and they don't want to go and spend literally years or, or let's say even hundreds of hours in a year to get just a little bit of information. So I'm looking at how can we encapsulate, how can we make this information more efficient? And uh, I think technology is the, it will do that, make it readily available.
Yep, probably an app on our phone in the not too distant future. So yeah. Yeah. you've already discussed some of these, but that there are some challenges to the practical implementation of molecular integrative oncology. Yes. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's three primary ones, and I'm wondering if you could summarize those three primary challenges and how they reinforce each other and what's the what's the solution to overcoming them? Well, one of the main challenges is doctors don't have enough time and resources to learn the molecular biology of cancer specifically the uh, molecular biology of the anti-cancer effect of natural supplement molecules and of already available molecules. And so the doctors, since they don't know about that information and no one is teaching it to them, then they don't have access to it. That other part of no one teaching it to them or, or very rarely are they being taught is for, because of two really important components within the um, the regulatory system in the U.S. And, and in Canada and in other parts of the world. Pharmaceutical companies are limited to uh, educating physicians about the use of their drugs for what, where those drugs are or how those drugs are approved. And they can't educate about the repurposing of their drugs, even though repurposing of drugs for anti-cancer usage in conventional mainstream oncology with chemotherapy is done 30% of the time. That's not being educated by the pharmaceutical companies. It's the physicians ed educating themselves. The other doctors, your family doctors, your other primary care physicians are prescribing drugs as well about 10% of the time, seems sometimes even 20% of the time or more for other repurposed usage for reasons that not are approved by the FDA. And there are lots of data that show that commonly available drugs, including generic drugs, so really low cost, including some over-the-counter drugs, have anti-cancer effects. And the doctors can administer them. They can prescribe them or recommend them in addition to conventional chemotherapy and radiation. Lastly, and probably the most important, in my opinion, is that supplement companies are um, – very appropriately restricted from and prohibited from making uh, advertisements or educating about the use of their molecules for disease treatment or disease symptom treatment. That's the, the way that natural product supplements, that's the way supplements are regulated in the U.S. and they're called natural products in Canada and they're also regulated in that way. They, um, because of that, Physicians don't know that there are large amounts of data that support the molecularly targeted anti-cancer effect of a broad range of natural supplement molecules in many different cancer cell types. And uh, those supplement companies are forbidden from educating about that. Uh, um, so the fact that the doctors are overwhelmed about the molecular biology of cancer and aren't being taught the big picture about it, and they don't have access to the information about the repurpose uh, pharmaceuticals and importantly, the natural product anti-cancer effects, then that whole area is not available to them for implementing or, or for making treatment recommendations. That's the gap that I'm covering. That's the bridge that I'm uh, extending from the, the range of clinical study, uh, sorry, from the range of the evidence base that's been done to be, make these 
available so physicians can make specific recommendations to their patients right away. And that that's a big deal because people are getting much better outcomes and results. Um, we need to uh, uh, apply this in clinical trials, looking at broad spectrum of natural products and some of these repurposed uh, pharmaceuticals in addition to conventional treatment. And so I'm very uh, actively looking at how we can consider and actually implement this kind of clinical trial. It's not been done before. It's a different kind of method. It's a method looking at a broad spectrum of natural molecules rather than testing just a specific drug molecule or a specific natural product molecule because it changes. Different people have different molecular profiles. Everybody's cancer is a little bit different, so we have to personalize the treatment based on the evidence that we get about their molecular profile. And we're going to see all of this explode in the next 10 years, the, the area of precision medicine, the area of genomics applied to medicine, not only cancer. I chose cancer because those are the patients I was seeing the most. And that's where there was the most data. And so uh, when you marry those two, we have rigorous approach now to evidence-based protocols and um, physicians can access that to the degree that they're willing and able. Terrific. So there is a wide range of patients with cancer from those who've just been recently diagnosed and have very localized stage one. Uh, If you just basically apply the principles in fat for fuel, it will be gone almost virtually with no other adjunctive therapies to those who are in metastatic stage four, given a very poor prognosis, maybe even less than a week to live. So I'm wondering, uh, what at what point does uh, this approach not work? And is it just wise to consider palliative care and go to a hospice? Or is it there, there never give up? I mean, what's your strategy as you get into the stage four cancers? Well, I see a lot of people with stage four, and if they're able to implement at least a, a, a model, a, 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 either a minor protocol or a medium-sized protocol, then we're very common. It's very common for us to see that they're getting significant benefit. In other words, slowing down the progression, even getting the tumor amount, the tumor burden, the tumor load to decrease. Um, there are ways to decrease the symptoms, decrease the, the suffering that people have as well. There are ways to increase the anti-cancer part of the immune system with people in stage four cancers, because stage four can be um, a very end stage, very dramatic, very um, difficult part, or it can be early aspect of stage four, where they still have a really robust quality of life and they're able to manage and have a good full life doing what they want to do, whether that's working or not, you know, whatever, whatever their, their choice is and to, to have a full quality of life. And um, I, I think it really matters to the degree that they're willing to decide to implement. What I tell people is try it for three months see how you're able to implement and um, collaborate with your doctor, your conventional oncology team, as well as your integrative 
um, medicine doctors and assess how you are at one and two and three months. These kinds of protocols, they take a while to get up and running. And so it may take a month or so just to get things up and running. And then over the next two months, very diligently implementing and then reassess and determine whether there's value. If somebody's has a rapidly progressive cancer and then it doesn't rapidly progress, that's progress. That's benefit. That's value. And they're able to extend their length of life. And so um, it, it's very situational. I uh, say that these protocols are based on the circumstances that the person is in at the moment. Sometimes we have people who have already had uh, surgery and chemotherapy and radiation therapy, and there's no detectable cancer. And they want to know what can they take at that point to to maintain that status. That's different as, as someone yeah. who... And th that, that brings up another point, too, is to successful cancer treatments, at least in the conventional paradigm, and how they're categorized, because they are considered essentially a cure if the patient lives for five years, when in fact, if they're dead in five years and two months from the primary disease, they're still considered a cure. Well, I know that there are because this new technology that we're seeing now with being able to look at the molecular characteristics of cancer, either in the cancer cells or in the blood, um, that, that we're now able to have a much more fine-tuned assessment of whether someone really does have remaining cancer. You know, now, today, many places when a cancer is too small to be seen by, uh, say, a CT scan, PET scan, MRI, or other kind of scanning tools, um, th then people can receive the diagnosis, the, the, the information that they are now, quote unquote, cancer free. And that just means for that person, while that's a great thing and we want to have it, we really want to have as much information about the lack of cancer. It doesn't mean that the patient is actually free of cancer because it could be microscopic, so too small to be detected. So there are some tools that are available now as well as others that are coming into the um, diagnosis pipeline that can find and identify particular cancer types at extremely small amounts and can continue to direct therapy. So people say, well, they don't see it by CT or MRI. And I say, well, we're, we're still seeing these tumor markers or we're still seeing this particular protein in the blood. And um, that would verify the likelihood of benefit from continuing the protocol. In other words, um, being cancer-free doesn't necessarily mean that you're free of cancer. It's a fine distinction, but it means that um, we, we want to implement treatment as long as treatment is necessary. And if someone then does get a, a, a diagnosis that they have no discernible cancer, and we've had this with our patients with serious illness, you know, uh, uh, brain cancer, glioblastoma uh, is a good, is an example that I, I'm thinking of now, as well as uh, some melanoma patients. But also, I think that there's two areas that are really important, um, pancreatic cancer and ovarian cancer, because there are so many molecular targets that are relevant for which there is substantial amount of data in natural products, as well as the repurposed pharmaceuticals that that and otherwise the conventional 
um, uh, outcomes, the prognoses is pretty um, dim. It, 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 it's difficult because the duration of life is otherwise considered so short that even with these new tools that are coming, the new immune treatments, the new other targeted treatments, that there are still additional targeted natural product options that are beneficial and valuable for these patients. Well, this is great. And uh, I'm sure anyone watching this realizes that we could literally talk for the next 10 hours and not bore you at all because there's so much, so many things that we didn't cover. And Dr. Lavalli has studied this for 13,000 hours and he's got a lot of information to share. So if you have cancer, if you're interested, then uh, I would suggest that you discuss this with your integrative physician and have them contact Dr. Lavalli for a customized uh, approach to your specific scenario. So, I mean, it's not something that uh, you have to see Dr. LaValle for. You can easily consult with your physician. So, And it works uh, the other way around. It works sure. the other way around. Oftentimes, uh, the doctors are busy. And so, if the patients contact us, that doctor's patients contact us, and then we can uh, uh, make uh, contact to the doctor. Or sometimes people come to us that don't have a doctor, and we'll help them find that doctor and establish that collaboration. Great. So anyway, it's a phenomenal resource. Um, uh, if anyone I know or loved, uh, or myself certainly, uh, had that encounter, that challenge, and most of us will. I mean, it's, well, maybe not most, but close to half of the people watching this will. And then we're not talking about skin cancer. We're talking about serious cancers. Nearly 50% of the population will come down with it. And certainly it's true for men. Uh, so this is something to consider. I mean, too many people die needlessly and have to suffer from these cancers that did, I mean, this was an unknown, essentially rare disease prior to the industrialization and the benefits that we got. But, but you know, this is the artifact of living in a chemicalized society and, and uh, having access to lots of great things, but not, but veering away from natural lifestyles, which expose us to these risks that cause our cancer cells to, to develop and kill us prematurely. So great resource. How does the physician find you or the patient find you? Well, our website, Lavalli MD Protocols. L A B L E Y. L E Well. Like Valley. Go ahead. La, La Valley. L A V like Victory. A L L E Y. La Valley MD Protocols.com. Okay. And um, you can you can uh, search me or you can go and look and look at the LinkedIn profile. It gives a little bit of a, a better overview. We're developing resources for patients and for their doctors to make it easier for them to understand and to have discussion, as well as these database access easier, so that um, essentially the next 10 to 20 years, medicine is is undergoing such a great evolution that it's going to come across the full spectrum. And that's what we're aiming to do is to make people have access to these from where whatever practitioner, whatever, whatever licensed physician they're going to. Okay, well, great. Thanks. Appreciate all your hard work. And I'm looking forward to the day when some um, enlightened company is able to have the tools to integrate uh, pretty sophisticated 
AI to your database and really make this technology easily available. I can, there's no doubt in my mind, not unless you die prematurely, and I hope that never happens, but yeah. the, Amen. That, Amen. That if you're around for the next 10 years, that that technology will exist and be easily able to allow the maximum use of the knowledge that you've put together and make it readily available to many people. Well, I hope for that too. I look forward to that. Thank you for having me.